Brothers and sisters, this afternoon we will look at Lord's Day 13 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 13 teaches us about our relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, in connection with this Lord's Day, we will read from three passages in Scripture. First, we will read from Genesis 37, the verses 1 through 11. Now, Genesis 37, it's a story about Joseph. It's the beginning of the story of Joseph. You see, from Scripture, we know quite a lot about the man Joseph. Thirteen chapters in Genesis are dedicated to the story of Joseph's life. As he was elevated from his lowly position as a slave in Egypt to a ruler over the whole land. So this afternoon we will read about Joseph primarily because of the nature of his relationship with his brothers. You see, Joseph was a brother. He had many brothers. And he also became their master. So we'll read Genesis 37, verses 1 through 11. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bow down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Thus far from Genesis. Next, especially in connection with question and answer 33, We'll also read from John 1. So John 1, we'll read the first 18 verses of John 1. This passage describes the unique, the very special relationship between the Father and the Son. And John emphasizes, especially here, the uniqueness of Christ as God's Son. So John 1, we'll begin at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness we have all received, and grace for grace." For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Thus far from the gospel according to John, now we'll turn ahead and we'll read from Corinthians, or sorry, we'll read from the letter of Colossians, Colossians 1, we'll read... We'll begin at verse 9b, and we'll read to verse 20. This passage describes the preeminence or the lordship of Jesus Christ. So this is Colossians 1, beginning in the middle of verse 9. Sorry, we'll begin at the beginning of verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 
For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, ground and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Thus far. So our text for this afternoon is the Word of God as it is summarized in Lord's Day 13. We'll read that Lord's Day now. Lord's Day 13, you can find Lord's Day 13 on page 528 of your books of praise. Why is He called God's only begotten Son, since we also are children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are children of God by adoption, through grace, for Christ's sake. Why do you call Him our Lord? Because He has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins, not with silver or gold, but with His precious blood, and has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us His own possession. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, our lives are, are full of different kinds of relationships. This is how our God created the world and how He established humanity. He has given us a rich variety of relationships to enjoy. For example, the men here might at the same time be a husband, they might be a father, and a son, and a brother, perhaps an uncle, a nephew, a friend, perhaps also an employer or an employee. All these words, they, they describe a particular relationship that we might have here on earth. And often, more than one of these words can apply to the same relationship. For example, it is possible to be both a brother and a friend. It is also possible to be both a father and an employer. And we can say something very similar with respect to our relationship with God. It's described in Scripture in many different ways using different words. We know God as our Creator, as our Father as our eternal King, as a righteous judge, and also as our merciful Savior. These are all words that describe our relationship with God. Now, our Lord's Day this afternoon, Lord's Day 13, it directs our attention to the final titles that are given to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in the, in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. Those two titles, the only begotten Son of God and our Lord. And these two titles, they describe a relationship. They teach us something of the nature of our relationship with the Son of God. 
What kind of relationship do we have with God's Son? This is an important question, and it needs to be answered carefully. Because the way that we think about our relationship with Christ will determine how we think about Him. It'll determine how we speak to Him and how we speak about Him. So how should we think about the Son of God? In what categories, you can say? Should we think of Him only in terms of what He has done for us? Is He our benefactor? Should we think of Him as a close friend, perhaps? Someone who helps us in our time of need? Should we think of Him as our brother? One who was born into the same circumstances as we are? Or should we think of Him as our exalted King, transcendent and unapproachable in all His splendor and majesty? And Lord's Day 13 provides some clarification on these questions. It gives us the language to use, and it adds to our understanding of who Christ is. This confession of Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God and our Lord, it describes that special relationship that we have with Him. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I proclaim to you that the Son of God, He binds us to Himself in a twofold relationship. So first we'll consider the bond of family, a family bond, and then we'll consider a bond of ownership. So first, the family bond. Now both questions in Lord's Day 13, they speak to our relationship with Christ, but they do so in a different way. One question deals with who the Son, the first question deals with who the Son of God is and who we are in relation to the Father. And the other then deals more directly with how we relate to Christ. Who is He to us? So the first one you could say involves three parties. There's the Son of God, there's us, and the Father. And the second, there's two parties. There's Christ and us. The first question is full of family language. And it's framed, you could say, in a very childlike way. Almost like one sibling thinking about another. Why is He but what about, what about me? One sibling thinking about another. In question 33, we are like children, you could say, trying to understand where we fit into the family of God. Because brothers and sisters, and this is a wonderful thing to realize, the language that is often used in Scripture to describe our relationship with God, it's family language. Family language. We, we sang of this already in the previous song about God as our Father. And in many places in the Old Testament, God refers to His covenant children, His people, His covenant people, the whole congregation of Israel. He refers to them as His firstborn son. For example, in Exodus 4 verse 22. And other places also in Scripture, the Israelites are called the sons of God. Like in Psalm 103 and Deuteronomy 14. Likewise, the Israelites, they often appealed to God in prayer, in song. They appealed to God as His children. For example, through the words of Isaiah in 63, Isaiah 63, verse 16, they address God as as their father. They say, you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, you are our father. And this family language, it's also abundant in the New Testament. Jesus is described as our brother like us in every respect, yet without sin. 
in Hebrews 2, verse 17. And as we can read in Luke 11, verse 2, Jesus has earned for us the, the privilege of calling God our Father when He taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven. The Apostle Paul and Peter often reference the inheritance that we receive as the children of God. We receive this inheritance as children, the children of God. And of course, the writings of John in particular are rich with family language. We, we tasted this a little bit this, this afternoon in John 1, but throughout his gospel, John highlights the special relationship between God the Father and the Son, and he extends this relationship using the same language to include us. John includes us in the family of God. As we read in the opening chapter, John 1 verse 12, to all who receive the Son of God, who believe in His name, He gave the right to be called children of God. So we are called God's children, and we call Him our Father. But in what sense are we children of God? Is there a difference then? Is there a difference between our status as God's children and Christ's sonship? This is the focus of question 33, which describes the difference in our relationship with the Father and Christ's relationship with the Father. And brothers and sisters, it's critically important for us to understand this difference. As an example, it might help to begin with what Scripture reveals about the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. The development of the relationship between Joseph and his brothers, it's a significant theme that runs through the last 14 chapters of Genesis. And Genesis 37 makes it clear that their relationship, that relationship between the brothers, it was shaped by how each stood in relation to their father. Joseph was his father's beloved son. Jacob, as we read, he favored Joseph above all the rest. But this favor, it incited his brothers to hatred. They considered Joseph to be no different than themselves. They considered Joseph to be exactly like they were, not deserving of any special favor. And so they rejected his claim as their future ruler. They rejected his dreams, for example. How could they accept their brother as a ruler and as a master over them? And you see this rejection of Joseph in the Old Testament, this rejection of Joseph by his brothers, it foreshadowed the rejection that Jesus would suffer at the hands of his own people, his very own people. You see, the Jews, they could not accept that Jesus was Lord because they denied that he came from the Father. They denied that he was the unique son from God, the unique Son of the Father. They regarded Jesus as nothing more than a man, a man just like themselves, a Jewish man who shared in the same relationship with God as they had. This is why, brothers and sisters, that confession of Peter in Matthew 16, verse 16, was so significant and why it was so important for the Christian church. Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Throughout the Gospels, this, 
This foundational confession, it stands against the stubbornness of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They actively denied Jesus' sonship. They denied that Jesus was the eternal Son of God. They rejected His claim and they hated Him. They hated Him because He claimed to enjoy a special relationship with the Father. And this error, brothers and sisters, it's propagated through the decades. Even to today, throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been many false teachers who have denied the divinity of Christ, His eternal nature, and denied His special relationship with the Father. Many teachers have thought of Christ only as a created being, one who was created by the Father, made and not begotten. We confess, of course, that He was begotten and not made. And some teachers, they think of Him only as a man. Christ was only a man, a good moral example perhaps, or just a prophet like any other. But for us to truly know Christ, we must believe and confess that He comes from the Father as the Father's only begotten Son. Jesus has a unique relationship with the Father. We must recognize and confess the exalted uniqueness of Jesus Christ, His special relationship with the Father, that He is the one and only, you could say, the only begotten Son from the Father. This is what we learn in question and answer 33. Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, which means that Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. Now, in the Apostles' Creed, the word that is used to distinguish between our relationship with the Father and Christ's relationship with the Father is that word, only begotten. Christ is called God's only begotten Son. This is the word that we see also here in the English translation of our Heidelberg Catechism. It's a word that comes through certain old translations of the Bible, for example, the Latin Vulgate, and for linguistic reasons, many other translations, they translate this word as only. Jesus is God's only Son. He's the one and only Son of God. In other words, there is no child of God like Jesus Christ. He is distinct. He is set apart. There is no one like Jesus in relation to the Father. To explain this relationship between the Father and the Son, the Catechism uses two words. He is the eternal Son of God and He is the natural Son of God. These are familiar words to us as the eternal Son of God. Christ has existed before time, before time. Normally when we think about a parent-child relationship, we think in terms of generations. A father comes before his son. Jacob came before Joseph. Every child has a beginning, is born in time. But this is not true of Christ. The Son of God is eternal. There was no beginning for the Son of God. He has always existed. God is eternal. And just as the Father is eternal, so also the Son is eternal. This is precisely what John writes at the beginning of his gospel in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. As God's Son, He lived with the Father before the beginning of time. He is eternal. Now, Christ is also described as being natural, the natural Son of God. When we think about Him as the natural Son of God, there are two ideas in view. The first is that of likeness. 
natural children, they, they bear the likeness of, or the image, you could say, the likeness of the image of their parents. Often this includes physical attributes, of course, and also certain aspects, perhaps, of their personality or their character. And these are intrinsic, not acquired. These are intrinsic to, to natural children. You can think of the expression that is sometimes used, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, or perhaps like father, like son. As parents, sometimes it's very easy to recognize ourselves in our children. And in a similar sense, then, Christ is the perfect image of His Father. As we read in Colossians 1 verse 1, He is the image of the invisible God. So also John writes in chapter 1 verse 14, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Son of God he perfectly reflects the Father. He manifests eternally. He manifests all His perfections, His perfect justice, His perfect righteousness, His power, His mercy, His generosity, His goodness, and His truth. Just as the Father is holy, the Son is holy. Just as the Father is righteous, the Son is righteous. If we want to know the Father, we need only to look to the Son. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's nature, as we can read in Hebrews 1, verse 3. And the second idea with relating to the natural Son of God is that of a relationship. There's a natural bond of love between a parent and a child. This is certainly true of the relationship between the Father and the Son. The Son loves the Father. As we, read in, as we can read in John 14, verse 31, the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Son. As He Himself confesses, this is my beloved Son. And the relationship that they enjoy, this relationship of love and perfect harmony of will, this relationship, as we said, it existed in eternity. From before the world began, they existed in a relationship of love between Father and Son. As the only eternal, natural Son of God, Jesus Christ is unique. And His relationship with the Father is unique. It's different than our relationship with the Father. So how then are we called children of God? The Scripture applies this language, sons of God, children of God, to us in a number of different ways. In one sense, we are children of God because He is our Creator. He created us. He made us. He made all mankind and so we bear His image. This is the sense in which Adam is called a son of God in the genealogy in Luke 3. But this is not the emphasis of the catechism. The catechism here, it speaks to us as redeemed sinners. We are called the children of God as redeemed sinners. You see, after the fall into sin, brothers and sisters, we lost the right to be called children of God. We abandoned the Creator, our Father. We exchanged, as Paul writes in Romans, we exchanged the truth for a lie. We became children of wrath, Ephesians 2 verse 3. We became sons of disobedience, that's Ephesians 5 verse 6. We even became children of the devil. We can read this in 1 John 3 verse 8. Children of the devil, we naturally conform to the passions of ignorance rather than to the image of God. This is our natural state in this world of sin. 
But now, as redeemed sinners, our relationship with God, it is completely transformed. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 19, Christ Jesus reconciled us to the Father. He reconciled us to the Father. We are no longer strangers or foreigners, but we are members of the household of God. We are part of His family. As we read in John 1, verse 12, we are part of His family that those who believe in His name, He gave the right to be called sons of God, children of God. Because of God the Son, the Father receives us as His own. And He does so through the deliberate and intentional and loving intervention of His own, of God. He made us His own children. We are, as John writes, we are born of God. Not because of anything that we have done, but through grace alone, according to the will of God. Now, the word that is used in the catechism to describe our relationship with the Father is the word adoption. We are adopted. Now, adoption, of course, it's a legal process. It's a legal process which secures the child's identity into a new family. Adoption has incredible, wonderful implications for the child. If we think about it, just think about it. For the child, this child receives a new status, a new father and a new mother, new siblings perhaps, and a new future, a new inheritance. And it's all grounded in a legal declaration, a simple legal declaration. And this is true for our relationship with God. We are adopted, as John writes in 1 John 3 verse 1. Do you see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You see, He calls us children of God, and so we are. He declares it, and so we are. God chooses us, and He reconciles us to Himself through the perfect work of His Son, and then He calls us His children, and so we are. And so we are bound to God in this new family relationship and as adopted children of God, we, we enjoy the rights of full children, the full rights of children. We have a, a new loving father. We are part of a new holy family, his church. And we look forward now to a new inheritance. With childlike reverence, we can trust in God as we come to him in prayer. And as his children, now we desire to live in his presence forever, to be near to him. To be near to Him like a child desires to be near to His Father. He is gracious to us as a Father is gracious. He is merciful to us as a Father is merciful. Like a Father who gives good gifts to His children, God has given us good gifts. And through the work of His Spirit in our hearts, He conforms us now to His image as a child conforms to the likeness of His parents. Brothers and sisters, now think about what this means for our relationship with Jesus Christ. The weight and the wonder that it adds to our relationship in perfect obedience to the will of the Father, the will of His Father, the eternal, natural Son of God, humbled Himself in order to reconcile us with His Father. Jesus Christ gave up the glory of His special relationship with the Father in order to bring us into the family of God so that we could share in the joy of this relationship 
We now share in the love of the Father and of the Son. As Christ prays in John 17, verse 26, we share in the love between the Father and the Son. Because of a Father's love for us, His Son has become our brother. In His divinity, in His unique exaltedness, you could say His exalted uniqueness, Christ is essentially different from us and yet humbling Himself by sharing our nature and our suffering in the flesh. He binds Himself to us as brothers and sisters in the household of God. This is the bond of family, the household of God. And it brings us to our second point now, the bond of ownership. The last title that is ascribed to Christ in the Apostles' Creed, it speaks directly to the relationship that we have with Him. And it is, brothers and sisters, integral to our understanding of who Christ is. It might surprise you to, to know that it forms the most concise confession that we can find in the, New, in the New Testament. If we turn to Romans 10, verse 9, you'll see there, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus is Lord. This is the confession. Brothers and sisters, this is no mere confession. This confession, it demands a response from us. If we truly believe that Jesus is Lord, then we will respond in obedience and in trust. The English title, Lord, it's an old word. It's one we don't use very often, of course. It means a master. It means a ruler. Lord describes somebody who holds authority and power over the lives of his subjects. Someone who is able to direct the course of their lives. A Lord requires allegiance and he requires obedience. But a Lord is also someone who takes responsibility for the well-being of his subjects, who provides for them, who cares for them. A Lord requires confidence and trust. Now here again we can think of Joseph. During his time in Egypt, Joseph, he ascended from the, the lowest position as a slave in Potiphar's house to the highest position of a Lord in Egypt. He is called a Lord in Psalm 105 verse 21. He was Lord in Egypt, a steward of the household of Pharaoh. Joseph had received all authority to administer the affairs of the king in the land of Egypt, and he used this authority to care for the people, for the Egyptians. If you remember the story, he made wise decisions, preparations for the, the land of Egypt to survive the coming famine. And over the course of the famine itself, Joseph's influence had increased. It increased until the household of Pharaoh owned almost everything in Egypt. In order to secure food, the people, they had sold their land, they had sold their cattle, they had even subjugated themselves to Joseph's rule. He was the Lord over all of Egypt. And beloved, consider what grace God worked for His people when on that incredible day, His own brothers arrived in His court, in Joseph's court, the Lord of Egypt. Although they didn't know, when they appealed to the master of Egypt, they in fact appealed to their own brother. A man very much like them, having the same father. A man whose heart, by the grace of God, 
was directed towards the well-being of his family. Joseph's family, as we can continue reading in Genesis, Genesis chapter 45, Joseph's family was eventually entrusted to his care. He was reunited with his father Jacob. He was reconciled to his brothers, and he settled them in Goshen. He provided for all their needs, and he comforted them. He comforted them with assurances of his care. See, Joseph promised to care for them and to care even for their little ones, as we can read in chapter 50. Joseph was Lord. He was ruler. He had authority, and he cared for his family. In the man Joseph, then we have a wonderful illustration of a brother and a Lord. He was exalted from his lowly position as a slave. This brother, he became a gracious and a loving master. He exercised his authority to care for his family. And in a similar way, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who took the form of a servant on earth, has been greatly exalted. He was a servant on earth. He has been exalted now as the Lord and the ruler of all. And we as his brothers and sisters adopted into the household of God, we have been entrusted into his care, into his gracious and his loving care. You see, in Lord's Day 13, the focus is on ownership. Ownership. Notice how the the answer so closely reflects question and answer one the Heidelberg Catechism. Jesus Christ owns us. We belong to Him, body and soul. We belong to Him in life and in death. We are His possession. We are now His responsibility. We have been given to Him by the Father. And beloved, consider the the incredible comfort that is found in this knowledge. Joseph was a man a man whose authority extended only so far as the border of Egypt. But Jesus Christ is God Himself. After His work on earth was complete, He received from the Father what was His by right. He received all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. He is now King of kings. He is Lord of lords, willing and able to give us all that we need. The King of kings is our Lord, and His heart is directed towards our well-being. The one invested with all authority in heaven and on earth, He is the very same person who now cares for us as family. We belong to Him. We belong to Him as His special possession. We are entrusted into His care. We are His church, and He is the Lord of His church because he bought her with his own life. Question and answer 34 makes a special point to highlight the price that Christ paid to secure us and secure our redemption. What kind of master gives his life for his subjects? But he did. As we read in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19, we are redeemed not with perishable things. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. We are redeemed, brothers and sisters. He broke our bondage to sin. He has freed us from the power of the devil. As former slaves of sin, subject to our past evil desires and the rule of the devil, we have now received a new Lord. We have a new master. And the Son of God now binds us to Himself in a new relationship of obedience and trust. We are slaves now not of sin. We are slaves of righteousness. 
God has delivered us, as we confess, from the domain of darkness, and He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And His claim on us is comprehensive. It's comprehensive. It's grounded in the payment He made, the debt that we could never pay. He suffered in body and soul, the torment of hell on our behalf. He suffered in body and soul, and so He secured us, body and soul, as His possession. Think about what it means to belong to the Son of God in the body. It's not that difficult to understand. It means that that our bodies are not our own. It means that we cannot do with our bodies as we please. It means that when Christ requires sexual purity, then we must obey. When He requires self-discipline and self-control, we must obey. When Christ directs us to work diligently in the service of His kingdom, we obey. Out of love and out of gratitude toward our gracious Master, we subject our hands and our feet to His will. And think about what it means for our soul, our soul to belong to the Son of God. It means that our whole being is subject to our Lord. Our every desire, our every motivation, our every thought, our every hope is subject to His will. It means that we trust fully in Him that our hearts and our lives are are filled with prayer, are filled with worship and thankfulness. Beloved, as redeemed children of God, this is the kind of relationship that we have with the Son of God. He has secured for us a new identity, a new status before God by binding us to Himself in this twofold relationship of love. As God's only begotten Son, He binds us with the bond of family into the household of God. When we appeal to the Father, we do so through Him. We are no longer alienated from God as sons of disobedience. Now we are children of God. And He is our unique, our exalted brother. And because He paid our debt, because He broke our bondage to sin and freed us from the power of the devil, He binds us to Himself also as His bond servants. He is our gracious. He is our loving Master. He bears authority over every aspect of our lives, and He has assumed responsibility for our care. We belong to Him. We belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, body and soul, in life and death. And so we wholeheartedly, this day, this week, And every day after, we wholeheartedly submit to His will, and we trust Him in all things as our brother and as our master. Amen.